0: We're back with Keith Morrison.
1: It's been a long time. It's been a long
0: time. I miss yeah. the Keithisms.
1: There are a plenty. I know. <laughs> in this one. <laughs>
0: Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. All right, fam, breaking news. Big Uh-oh. announcement. Okay. <laughs> so my book is coming out September 26th, 2023. That's in a month from now, just about. Yeah. On the day it comes out, we are doing a launch party for the listeners as a thank you. It's free. It's at a secret location. It's going to be open bar, free food. If you got a book by coming to like one of the book parties or one of our live shows, we're going to have it for you there at Ooh. the event. To so pick up, I'm going to sign. We're doing performances <laughs> by drag queens. Fun. You're going to drink your faces off. The catch is this. I can only invite 200 listeners. Uh Uh-oh. So here's what you got to do, fam. You got to text me if you want to be entered. We're going to randomly draw the winners. If you're going to be in New York City or you can be in New York City on September 26th. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. The party is from 630 to 9 p.m. You will get the details when you get the invitation to the party. Then text me now. My phone number is 917-983-3733. Text party to that number if you want Wanna to come to my free book release party as a thank you for the listeners, open bar, free food, drag queens, food, pictures, me, you, yes, and everybody else. It
1: sounds really fun.
0: It's gonna be really fun. up to DJ, it's gonna be the whole thing. Oh, we're photo dancing. Photo booth, we're dancing. Oh, I love it's a, gonna a photo booth. Okay, great. Let's So do it. text me, text me, text me if you wanna come. Other than that, fam, please join the Patreon. Sure. I keep forgetting to say, every single week you get a full bonus episode. Yeah. So like the one you're listening to right now with ads, you're gonna get a full bonus one of those every single week. Right. Ad-free. There's over 350 of them already there for you to download and binge right this second. Plus, like, all the series we do. all the Well, that's what it is. It's yes. all the series. My new favorite one is the Who Killed Robert Wan. Yeah. It was a two-parter about a man who was murdered. and it, Like, the setup is it's four men in a house. One gets murdered. Did the other three men do it or not? Mm. It's not as cut and dry as you think.
1: Yeah, opinions were had.
0: Opinions were had. <laughs> it's really great. So, patreon.com slash obsessed. You can also get all of our episodes ad-free there as well. Yes. We have after parties where we just, like... Like, shoot the breeze. Yeah,
1: or we give advice. Very fun, loose, uh, fun advice. Yeah, we just hang out. It's fun. It's Patreon
0: is very fun.
1: There's a lot going on.
0: That's true. Yeah. All right, girl, what are we talking about today?
1: We are talking, it's called Who Killed Angie Dodge? Keith Morrison Investigates.
2: When a beloved teenager, Angie Dodge, is found murdered in her own home, her mother embarks on a mission to hunt down the killer
3: and the truth. I'm just driven to put a face to this monster. A confession
2: leads to a conviction.
3: You are absolutely
2: convinced that you've got the right guy. There is no doubt. But the case is far from closed. When hours of interrogation tapes are made public.
3: I wasn't there.
2: They ignite a firestorm of controversy.
3: Wow,
0: this guy really was set up.
3: They took it too far. They broke his brain
2: the person who killed Angie Dodge is still out there.
0: So we are with Keith on the Snake River in Idaho Falls, Idaho. It's a
1: lovely spot, (laughs) as he says. It's a lovely
0: spot. He's been thinking about this place since he first came here in 2012 to meet a remarkable woman named Carol Dodge.
1: I don't know if I've ever met someone more remarkable in my life.
0: So I got to tell you, like, this woman, she's obviously Angie's mother. Angie is our victim in this episode. And Carol is so remarkable because she's a fighter. She's a survivor. She wears her heart on her sleeve. She does the right thing at every fucking turn.
1: 16,000 miles on her truck trying to get to the bottom of this goddamn thing. <laughs> and she, what she's doing is very hard because she's trying to release the man convicted of the murder of her daughter due to a false confession.
0: But she thought he was the guy. For right. 10 years, she thought he was guilty.
1: And so she does that thing that we we talk about is, must be so hard for families to do, yes. like to get that closure get justice and then have to change your mind when she's faced with the truth of this insane case. And
0: people who are famous in the exoneree business, old friends, we're going to see again in this episode. <gasps> I screamed. I was like, buddy, the elf. I I I don't know But they are all going to say, like, there is no— Victims' parents never get this involved in the exoneration of the people convicted Convicted. of killing their loved ones. This woman is incredible. And
1: I'm not saying it's easy, but Carol proves that it is possible.
0: 100%. So it's night of the murder. It's June 13th, 1996. It's a stale hot night in Idaho Falls. Keith,
1: you know what?
2: I know. Angie Dodge, an independent 18-year-old, was at home in Idaho Falls— upstairs in her tiny top-floor apartment, a place she had called her own for less than a month.
0: She's eighteen, and She's 18. I know that you're a legal adult, and I know that that's when I moved out of my mom's house. Oh, okay. But it feels young, Men's hypocrite. I know it just feels young to be living on your own. You but know like, what I kids mean? Go to college at eighteen. I know. Well, that's what I did. I remember the day that I. I remember my first night of orientation at college, where I was in Boston, and I was walking across Berkeley Street, right on the corner of Berkeley and Boylston, and I had the thought. I'm too small to be here on my own. No one's expecting me uh-huh. home tonight. Yeah. The that was the first time in my life I'd ever experienced that. It was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that'll do it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> totally.
1: Um- so she had some friends over until around 12.30 a.m. And yeah. we don't really know what happened after that. And that's where we meet Brian Clark. He's a reporter.
0: Yeah. So the next morning, Angie doesn't show up for work. And two of her coworkers get concerned. They call her a few times. And then at between 10.30 and 10.45 a.m., they go to her house. And I'm saying, who are these hero co-workers? See, I've seen this from time to yeah. time. These amazing coworkers who like- Like Shannan, Remember Shannon's best friend? Yeah, Shannon Watts. Yeah, yes. Shannon Watts. Yes. She was just like, something is wrong. I, I know something
1: is wrong. I'm trusting my gut. Here. It's
0: amazing that people care this much. And
1: remember it's 1996, so no cell phones. They can't yep. like they can't even beep her maybe. They can, there's oh, no email. Like God. their options are wait around in panic or just go to her house and yeah. try to make moves. And that's what they do.
0: So around 10:30, uh, quarter to 11, they went over, went to knock on the door and they found the door was a little bit ajar. So they went up into the house, looked and Went back to the back bedroom and saw her laying there immediately, backed out, and called the police. And they, like, immediately run out and call the cops.
1: And this is where we learn that murders are so rare in this town. They get maybe, maybe.
0: Zero to one per year. One,
1: yeah, zero to one per year. <laughs> They're like, maybe one a year. But even the one is rare. Yes. So Keith's like, zero to one per year. Oh, shit.
0: I, Detective Ken is here. He tells Whoa. us. I <laughs> These cops we suck! the gar- I wish we had the garbage bell. Oh, ding, ding,
3: star- ding! <laughs> oh, oh Ken. she's
1: back! Fucking ding! I oh. know. And who's the other one? Jim or whatever? I'll yeah. get to him in a minute.
0: Detective Garbage Ken tells us it was a brutal homicide. There was a lot of passion involved, he says, in whoever did this. I said, we've got to start using a different word. I know. Passion does that thing where it romanticizes the violence.
1: I know, because it means two different things. It's just, you know, like when you're passionate about something. I know, it's sort of been co-opted. as
0: Yeah, we've got to change the narrative because people, like we, in another episode we just did, they're like, in America, we have a hard time distinguishing between abuse and passion. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be that hard. Also,
1: the term prolific, the word prolific, I don't love. Uh Like, I get it. I yeah. know what the de- like Webster's Dictionary defines right. it as. I understand it, but prolific <laughs> right, private school. means like no, you know when you Google it, like de- you can define, define prolific. prolific.
0: What you go to private school?
1: It just means you do a lot of things in a yes. little amount of time, correct? Right? Okay, great. But they, like they say, said- the
2: killer clearly wanted Angie to suffer. She had been stabbed over and over again. Her throat slipped. just making sure that with all of their all their ability, that she was dead. Yeah, overkill, I think they call it. Right.
1: Overkill, I think they call it. And I'm like, don't be humble, I, Keith. You're Keith goddamn Morris, you and you've know been doing this for a hundred years.
0: She'd been stabbed over and over again. Her throat was slit. Like, it. why? Yeah. Why? Uh, because people are evil. Yes.
1: And to make it worse, semen was left at the scene. It was on Angie's body. Now, this is horrible. Horrible. But the only thing that is a positive to come out of this if I can even say it that way it's that it's good for evidence right like yeah. there's something to be tested there's something to be well, matched and that's
0: really interesting because it's 1996 and I, I didn't realize we were that far in, like along in DNA testing but I thought that was like an early 2000s thing so I was happy to know yeah. that that was a thing that they could test then. I mean
1: I, that's just what I thought of it no, I probably should have looked at it true, yeah.
0: because they, they do test the DNA yeah. all throughout this thing yeah, oh god you know now we meet Carol uh, Angie's mom the best but the thing that isn't the best is how she found out that her daughter had Been murdered. Yeah. She called. Remember those heroes that we love, the co workers that went to check on Angie? Well, one of them fucking answers the phone when Carol calls the job just asking if Angie wants to go out to lunch. To take her out to lunch. And one of the co workers says, Angie's been found dead. You need to call the cops. Oh, That's my God. how Angie's mom found out that she had been murdered.
1: And I have to say, she has the strength of a thousand bears. Yeah. Like, what's a really <laughs> Cute strong thing? And all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you want to hug her, yeah. but you don't want to fuck with her. And she's <laughs> awesome. Like, I think, like, she would be, yes. she would, like, make Make really good cookies and be a good like host if you came over, but she also gets shit done. I just love her. No, but yeah. the strength that she has, like from the minute she found out, there's no good way to find this out. Yeah. But she found out in a particularly shitty way. Yeah. From the minute she hears about this, her strength has been, and not to say that she has been emotionless, like of course of she's worse. But to be able to to move forward in the ways that she does, she's an inspiration. Like this is why I fucking love women. I Let know. the women do the work. Like she has. Oh, she's the best.
0: It's so funny. We always get asked at Q and A's if you're gonna do. More- more let the women. And every time we get one of these women, I'm like, just well, like you we, need have Carol. To. we need to do a Carol I, mean, episode. I need to be friends with Carol. She's the best. But we also learned that, like, this first interview with Carol is from 2012, which is when yeah. Keith covered this for Dateline. And I don't know much about this Keith Morrison Presents, which is what this is an I episode you were of. I this
1: Keith Morrison I don't person. Much about this
0: Keith Morrison. But, like, it seems like he gets to take his cases from Dateline and expand them into his own documentary. Yes,
1: we've done this before. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. But, like, she's really devastated, but she also wants to really find the truth no matter what, unlike some. some. families we hear about
0: sometimes. 100%. And so we sort of get the Dodge family backstory. The Dodge family had been drawn to
2: this wholesome town in eastern Idaho 12 years earlier in 1984.
3: The main religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is Mormon colloquially. Uh, More than half of people belong to that religion in this area. And so it's a very tight-knit family community
0: more than half the people who live in the area are Mormons. We don't know if they are or not. Mm-hmm. But it's a very tight-knit, family-oriented community. The Dodges have three boys and a girl, baby Angie. And of course, like, being the like the youngest and the girl and yeah. the baby of the family, she's like the apple of the father's eye. Yeah. we do- That's the first and last time we hear about the dad. Yeah. We never get anything else about him. And that's it. But yeah. we
1: do meet Brent, her brother. Yes. And he tells us, you know, Angie was fun, loving, bubbly. She was always busy. She was excited for life. She was just always, like, up and around and doing things. I
0: love that descriptor of her as like always busy. Yeah. She just was curious and wanted to do things yeah. all the time. She had like
1: work friends and then she was hosting people because she was so excited about her new apartment. Yes. Like she just always had, she had a full dance card. 100%. You know? And Angie's mom, Carol, just says, you know, it was so, she says this thing that is so like visceral and heartbreaking about how it was so hard for her to go on because she'd be out in the world and she'd be like, How can you be walking around like nothing happened? Like, my world stopped. How are you food shopping right now? Like it, like, like everything's fine when nothing is fine. It's
0: really sad. Like, of course, Ugh. we're, you know, we're friends with Julie Murray and we follow her on TikTok, and she says all the time, like, she didn't choose Maura's case to become her life. That's just what happens yeah, yeah, yeah. when a loved one disappears or is murdered. These people for whom that happens yeah. are so strong to I be. Think able about Sarah to, like, too. I know, to like to go and devote their lives to, to the justice of it all or the finding totally. of the sister. It's just like not what the life they would have chosen, but they are up to the challenge. Exactly. You know?
1: Now, people are worried that there's a killer on the loose because, because guess is. what? There is.
0: <laughs> this is a town that has zero to one murders a year. Right. Mostly it's zero.
1: So there are no suspects. And the cops do like the one good thing, which is starting close and going, like talking to our friends and family. Yes. That's the only th- And it ends... Actually, that wasn't even good because this <laughs> fucked the whole thing up. God, these cops are the worst.
0: They're really bad. And, you know, they rule out Angie's family and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. They move on to the friends who stopped by earlier in the night that she was killed. Yeah. They also say the murder weapon was never recovered. But detectives knew they had a key piece of evidence to work with because of the semen that was found at the scene. Right. But the DNA doesn't match the boyfriend or any of the friends who came over. So it's none of them. Right.
1: And like, did she know her killer? Her exactly. mother was worried about this? Like, who would who would who did she know that maybe her friends didn't well, know? That didn't really
0: Because the mom had had a weird last phone call with her. Her mom said that, like, in their last call,
3: she said to me, you know, Mom, I've done something really stupid. Did you, did you say to her what you do? No, I didn't, because I didn't want to pry.
2: Carol feared that Angie might have gotten mixed up with the wrong crowd. And she looked to investigators to confirm
0: her suspicion. So we don't know if that's connected to the murder or not, but Angie seemed to have been worried about something.
1: And this feels like a pretty bad edit because I feel like Carol maybe, because it made it seem like Angie said, mom, I did something stupid. And then Carol was like, okay, bye. And I don't think that's what happened. I'm sure she said like, if you want to talk about it, I'm here, here. but I'm not going to pry. I just can't imagine Carol from the 90 minutes I spent with her. No, because Carol
0: also strikes me as that parent who is the right amount of in your business. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: And Also, she and Angie, like, they were going to go out to lunch. She was going to take her to lunch. They have a relationship, I think, where you could talk to Carol. But Carol says, you know, that exchange will haunt her forever. And Carol, like again, the only person at fault here is the, the person killer. who did it and also the cops who fucked it up.
0: Yeah, and Carol is also the mom who, she says, I would go to the police department every day they were open and every day they would say they didn't know anything. I also think that Carol is the mother of a victim who the cops like. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like she went in there and did it exactly the right way where she would like find out if there was updates on the case in a way that wasn't annoying. And they still
1: weren't doing anything for And they for her. still weren't doing anything. So days and weeks and months go by and so Carol just says, fuck this or fudge this, whatever Mormons say. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And launches her own investigation.
0: Yeah. This is
1: where she put 16,000 miles on her truck. She was driving everywhere. She was just doing the fucking work. And she was doing it herself from the ground up based on like instinct and gut because the cops weren't helping her I know.
0: And I'm like, how do you know what to Carol? Let me learn from you. Be my teacher, Carol. But now we learn about Angie's friends that she hung out with. Like the Snake River is the river that goes through town. It's where Keith was standing at the top of the episode. Yes, yes.
1: It's a lovely spot.
0: It reminds us. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. But like, it's also like the place where all the kids Kids in town right. like to hang out. Like, yeah. obvi- it's like this big, beautiful, roaring river.
1: Yeah. And so even though no one matched the DNA found at the scene, the cops are focusing on some of her friends. Like yeah. Jeremy Sargis and Chris Tapp. Now, I want to say something here. Chris Tapp is not white. Uh-huh. I don't know his race. They, they don't mention it. I'm certainly not going to guess. Right. But I know that he is not white. And yeah. that is very important here.
0: And we should say that, like, Jeremy and Chris are very good friends. And Jeremy describes Chris. Like, we know that Chris was battling drug addiction from a very young age. Mm-hmm.
3: She just was so lighthearted just such a dedicated friend.
2: When Jeremy and his friends met Chris at the river,
3: they took him under their wings. We liked the guy, so we kept him. Tried to keep him out of trouble. He needed some good friends to take care of him.
0: This kid needed help, like, staying on the straight and narrow, and I was going to, like, be that good friend for him. Yeah! I-
1: Love that idea that he's just like not a human. He's just like this thing. Because at one yeah. point he's like, oh, so we kept him, and I'm like, I'm sure that's maybe a cute thing yes. that you said to each other. But it, it took me right out of it. I was like, he's a person. I
0: thought it was so sweet that yeah. it was like they found this kid that was having a hard time, and they're like, we're gonna be your friend, and we're gonna take care of you. That
1: part I like. Yeah, <laughs> being nice to
0: people. You know how much can I, I love that. Can always count on you to be nice <laughs> to like to be nice to people. I hope.
1: Yeah, I hope so. But I hope you can count on me for that. Yeah. But yeah, it just felt a little. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into it.
0: So, Jeremy and Chris and the other kids from the river, they're all eager to help find the killer. The police question all of them, and Jeremy's saying, like, we wanted to be helpful. Like, if you have nothing to hide, why wouldn't you be to helpful? To which I say,
1: oh, no! I know. Uh, that's like the kiss of death. You don't say that. Or at mean, least you
0: say the word lawyer. I, I I, go back and forth about, like, I want to say I feel the same way, but we talked on the other episode about how, like, if my plane landed and I got service again and I found out that Daisy and Steve were dead, my first call would be to an attorney.
1: Mike and I have had conversations about so like so we don't panic what's the plan like if I call you and I'm like get a lawyer I'm like who would you call like what lawyer Uh would you call like that's in place please like everyone have those fucking conversations because people are in danger out there it's true like please and remember your rights
0: now we learn about Ben Hobbs. So he was uh, like, I don't understand this. He was one of Angie's close friends. He was interviewed by the police. They didn't see much in him. They let him like, you know, they just questioned him. But we learned that after Christmas, he's arrested in Nevada for a, quote, brutal rape and cutting of a woman with a knife. So this
1: is a year after Angie's been murdered. Yeah. It turns out that this Ben piece of shit has Who's like been, dear
0: friends with all these kids we just met and like.
1: Like, please, raped raped this woman at knife point. And also Angie's killer used a knife. Right. So that's a little interesting. So
0: Ben becomes like a prime suspect.
1: Yeah. And Ben, the rapist, did not have an alibi for the murder. But he
0: also gives them an alibi that doesn't check out. So like not only does he not have one, he lies. He's
1: lying. So they're gonna test Ben's DNA to see if it's a match. And while they wait for the results, they talk to Ben's friends. Yes. And the cops also keep calling the friends associates. Like, uh, can I you know.
0: Can you do your I job? Like,
1: enough with the cops, speak and just do your job. These people. Yeah. Suck.
0: So they bring Jeremy back in. He's adamant that he knows nothing about the murder or Ben's participation in it. And then next, Detective Furman brings Chris Tapp back in. He was like the quote straggler that the kids decided to keep. Now, the thing to know about Detective Furman and Chris is that they know each other.
2: They'd first met when Furman was a police officer assigned to Chris's junior high school. He was in trouble a time or two.
3: It was. So
2: just trying to help him out. So you had
3: something of a relationship. We did. And I think that's what really helped, you know, once we were able to be able to get uh, Chris to come in and speak with us.
1: So, like, Chris was getting in trouble a lot, and this cop knew this. Chris trusted him. Now Chris tells his mom, he's my friend. Everyone, pull the fuck over and say it with me. The cops are never your friends. If you're one of those people who think there are a bunch of good ones out there, even the good ones aren't your friends. This is a harsh reality that we have. The cops are never your friends Ever.
0: Because, like, they are trying to do a job, too. You know what I mean? Like, Like, I'm not defending cops, but I am just saying that, like, what the cops would say is they got to find the guy. Right. And if they're going to exploit a relationship, if Chris actually had been the killer, it would have been lucky for the cop that he had a relationship with Chris and Chris trusted him. And
1: it's just interesting that, like, Jeremy, the friend, who's also friends with Ben, the rapist, like, Chris and Jeremy have the same evidence against them, which is nothing. Exactly. The same friends. Jeremy is off on his merry way. Yeah. And Chris, because this cop knows him and is, quote, friends with him. Yeah. Chris gets the brunt of it. Cops are never your friends. I'll say it a hundred times. No.
0: And so, you know, Chris says he has no issue going down to talk to this Furman guy without an attorney, but he denies knowing anything about the murder.
1: Right. And so, like, he says, if I knew something, I'd tell you, but I really don't. Now, three—and then he's not saying the word lawyer. He's just going home. Right. Three days later, he goes in again without a lawyer.
0: And changes his story. And
1: now the story is Ben the Rapist told Chris— that Ben the rapist had killed Angie. Yes. Chris is like, I thought it was a joke and now I realize it wasn't. What they're, what we'll get into later that is not being clear here is that Chris has been badgered into a false confession and into telling them something for three days. And I gotta
0: say that, like, it's shitty storytelling on the part of the documentary because it makes it sound like Chris came back and then of his own volition came Absolutely. back to tell a new story. That's not true. Like what
1: happened to Robert Wan, by the way. Exactly. That's exactly what happened to Robert right. Wan.
0: But what happened with Chris is that
2: he came back in for another interview. He now said, Ben Hobbs had told him that he killed Angie, but Chris said he thought it was a joke. With no attorney present, Chris followed up this admission with a seven-page written statement detailing Ben's confession. It laid the groundwork for a story that would continue to change over time.
0: Chris follows up that admission with a seven-page written statement. Detailing Ben's confession. And what that says to the cops is... Chris knows an awful fucking lot about this murder. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either to the cops it's either this guy Ben or Chris. And remember we're waiting to see if Ben's DNA matches the semen found on the scene.
1: And this is where Keith said it laid the groundwork for a story that would change over
0: time. But the story only changes Keith because the cops keep making him change and it. Keith He's knows not that. changing it on his own. No, no, no. And Keith
1: knows that because it's Keith... deceptive
0: storytelling.
1: And be, but which is a shame because yes. it ends up being great storytelling down the line yes. when Keith is trying to hold them accountable and actually says like but you badgered him like exactly. you know that right Yes. so yes. that's that's a little frustrating I think for us because like we know Keith so well at this point we've seen so many and we know where the story ends and yes. it's like Keith but I this know. is like for the f- if you've never watched a dateline before right you know they're, they're just trying to keep
0: us hooked right so now we're back to that guy Ben so the Nevada Ben the rapist, ben the rapist so he gets convicted of that crime mm-hmm. and he speaks to the detectives in the Angie Dog case willingly without a lawyer. And this is absolutely chilling. He says the words, I didn't kill Angie Dodge, I wouldn't kill my friends, sorry. To which I said, so I guess you only rape strangers? I, was, I
1: like, would I rape someone at knife point? 100%. I mean, but I don't what? kill my friends. Because then, that was incredibly chilling. But then, he goes, well, was she raped? Right. Basically saying, like, well, that proves my innocence right there. I'm a rapist, not a murderer. He's like,
0: I would know <gasps> as a rapist, I would know that if she was raped, I would be, like, excluded because I didn't rape He's her. He's
1: like, if I'm doing anything anything, I'm raping somebody. Right. I'm definitely not murdering them.
0: I mean, but honestly. Like, that's what he's saying. And the cops are like, yeah, you kind of got us there because ah. they they get the, the DNA back and it's not a match. But
1: the fact that, like, just I, I never want him to see the light. Like, yeah. look, you know how I feel about the prison system, <laughs> but know. Jesus Christ, for him to say that, like, well, I was know. she raped? Well, obviously it wasn't me. Right. I only rape people. I know.
0: <gasps> I know. I know. I know. I know. Oh, my
1: God. And guess what? His fucking DNA doesn't match. So
0: they release Ugh. him. They they tell us that Chris's DNA also isn't a match, but they continue to question him because Chris doesn't have a solid alibi. And we never get any answers about this. And I'm
1: like, but doesn't he if his
0: DNA doesn't match? I mean. Isn't that part of it? I get. But they're saying because he gave that written confession, the police are now starting to formulate the idea that he could have been there and been a part of it. There was someone but else in not been involved. the rapist. Right. right. Exactly.
1: Now, Chris's family hires lawyers.
0: Chris's family hired attorneys.
2: But they weren't always present for his interviews. In total, Chris was interrogated on nine different days, given six polygraphs,
0: and questioned for more than 40 hours.
1: They weren't always there for interviews. This doesn't
0: make any sense. Excuse me? Because my question is do they hire lawyers or were they given a public defender?
1: Well, Either way, yes. show
0: the fuck up. Or at least advise your clients not to do anything without you being there. Right.
1: Because over nine days, he was interviewed nine times, yep. to which I'm like Ferris Bueller, nine times. <laughs> six polygraphs and questioned for more than 40 hours. This should be illegal. If you are actually saying you don't have anything on him, the DNA right. doesn't match. He should nine days, six polygraphs, and which are bullshit by the way. Well, because
0: like, I just want to say They're a bargaining tactic. And I want to say I want to say this now so we don't lose it later. They're using the polygraphs to scare him to get him to say what they want him to say so they can say he did it.
1: Like, this is insane. You don't have a single piece of evidence on this person. It's so obvious they're trying to get a false confession. This should not be legal. Right. Like, 40 hours, should, nine days? It's like,
0: all of this should have been, like, the, the entire case against him should have been thrown out when this became clear. Right. Chris sticks to a story about Ben being the killer and him being there for it, but also the cops get him to also say that he was holding a knife to her and cut her while Ben was raping her. Which
1: cannot be true because the people in the story don't match the DNA. Right. So... Listen to this. Like, don't just pick and choose the point of the false confessions that you like.
0: Which is what they're going to do throughout and at trial. But
1: you know that Ben the Rapist did not rape Angie. Her, his DNA isn't there. So the majority of the story that Chris is telling you right now cannot be true.
2: Well, the cops have an answer for that. Of course they, they do. They decide. As for the semen that was found in Angie's body, police have now established a theory that a third man was involved in the murder and had violated Angie. Chris could not correctly name that person, but police maintained the unknown man was in Angie's apartment with Chris and Ben.
1: But, like, it's so—this theory proves that they know what Chris is saying isn't entirely true. Right. Because his story is that Ben raped her. Why wouldn't Ben Seaman be there? And now they're just like, um, we only believe uh, the good parts. We're going to make up some— mystery person and like
0: this is where as like a person who does this for a living it it is mind boggling to see it in action that the cops kind of flip from like wanting to get the guy to wanting to get any guy get this guy to get this guy and like the, the blind like to actually have the video of the interrogation and see all of these yeah. moments where they just get the single focus blinders like, and they're just zeroing in on, they're doing anything they can do to get Chris and
1: it's so obvious it's egregious like it should make you like my stomach her. Like, exactly. it should make you sick. This is a kid who is alone in there. Where is his fucking lawyer that they his family's wasting money on? How was he interviewed nine times and the lawyer didn't put a stop to it or the lawyer wasn't there? Like, where are these other interviews? And the
0: the thing is, it's like Ben was at least loud enough to be like, well, was she raped? Because if she was, it wasn't me. God. Jeremy, they had nothing on. And they let him go. Chris just keeps going back for the interviews because he trusts the cop. And so, like, they let Ben go. And then we learn on February 3rd, 1987, Chris is charged with rape and first-degree murder based solely on his confession that he helped Ben kill Angie.
1: They couldn't even arrest him before they charged him because they didn't have any actual evidence, just the confession.
0: Right. Like, think about that. And what's wild is that they arrest him on the rape and the first-degree murder charges based on his confession that he helped Ben kill Angie. So, like, making Ben the actual person who did the killing, but they don't ever arrest or charge Ben.
1: Right. It's disgusting. Yeah. Like, if you really, really think about that, that is so fucked up. How is that even possible? It's insane. And it happens all the time. That's the thing.
0: We jumped to two years later. We're at Chris Tapp's trial. And, like, Carol, Angie's mom is there. I showed the crime
3: scene photos and talked about all of her wounds. I never heard how horrific it was until we went through a trial.
0: She did not know how brutal this killing was until the trial yeah. two years later because they're showing crime scene photos and autopsy photos. It's just like, I hate that she felt that she had to put herself through that. I
1: know. I know. So, Chris is found guilty of rape and murder. He's sentenced to life plus 20 years and he's eligible for parole in 30 years.
0: That math does not make any sense to me <laughs> because if Chris had actually done this and what and like did these horrible things and got life plus 20 but is eligible for parole in 30 years, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Well, but it's just like, they get to
1: tick it off their list. Uh-huh. That's really all it is. So now at the moment, of course, the Dodge family hates Chris. Right. Because in this moment, well, of course, they believe it. And they just want ju- some kind of justice or some kind of closure. Yep. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, fine. So Chris is in prison. But according to the story that put him there, yep.
0: there are two men who are not in prison and not charged. And we know who one of them is. One of them is Ben, and he is specifically not charged with anything. So cops,
1: are we going to get them two or just the brown right. kid? Are we...
0: And, and that's where Carol, the mom, comes in because she becomes obsessed with the DNA found on Angie's body. And she's like, all right, Chris was there. He helped do this. I guess we're not going to go after Ben, but we're going to find the guy whose DNA matches the semen. Like the mystery
1: DNA. Right, because he's
0: going to be the guy to tell the story about what really happened.
1: And so she's not going to rest until the case is completely solved. Yes. Because the cops put some brown kid away and so they don't care. They just, they stop working the case. exactly. So a decade goes by. A decade, thanks cops, with no movement at all. And this is where Carol calls... Dr. Gregg of the Idaho Innocence Project.
2: Carol would not rest until the case was completely solved. She began poring over the murder file, trying to make sense of that theory developed by police,
3: and now the linchpin of the entire case. I go through these reports. I have thousands of papers, and I just go, what part of this don't I understand? It didn't make sense
0: she's watching all of this and reading all of this and she's like, it's not adding up. And
1: also Chris couldn't name this third person. Right. He doesn't know who it is because he wasn't there.
0: So she calls Dr. Greg of the Idaho Innocence Project and she's like, can you please explain this to me? And he's, he's an like,
1: internationally known DNA expert.
0: He goes, I might be able to help you but I should let you know that we've just agreed to take Chris's case because we don't think he did this. Right.
1: And when she learns that, do you know what Carol says? Carol says, I just want to know what happened to my daughter. I yeah. could, I have, I can't. I, I know. Wow. Uh, like... I know Carol is a unicorn. Yes. I understand that. Yes. I know every situation is different. I know what I don't know. I I know all of that. Yeah. But like, it is possible to have this point of view.
0: And I got to say, I mean, it and is. it's not easy. It's not easy, but also Carol's done the work. Yes. She, and like, not all, not all families are able emotionally to do that. Of course not. Or have the time or the privilege She's to a have the time. Everything, yes. Everything is yes. different.
1: Everything. I don't know what her money situation is like. I don't right. know like how she has the ability to do this, but I'm just saying. Yes. Getting there emotionally is possible. 100%. So they found pubic hairs at the scene and they'd never been tested. So they're finally tested,
0: and these pubic hairs are not a match for Chris. And they're not a match for Angie. So they're, it's like a—or Ben. The pubic hairs match the DNA of the semen left on Angie's body. Right. Which further proves that it's just one person. It's not Chris and right. Ben and this mystery person, because there's no evidence that Chris was there other than his confession. And that—yeah. And Carol, the mom, has poured over his confessions and can tell she's starting to believe that they were coerced.
1: And she's like, wait a second, hold on. Hold on. There's a lot of DNA at the scene, but none of it matches the guy in prison for the crimes, right? Like, and, how... and
0: all of the DNA of like the people care in the semen, they all and like the touch DNA that they're going to find on other objects in the room all match the same person. Right. So Dr. Greg and Carol, they all are like this. It's starting to look like it's not Chris, and it really is just one other mystery person,
1: right? And now it's been 13 years, so this is a really big bombshell. But this is where she's like, okay, who? who this is not the right guy in prison. Yes. This is not it. But now Carol learns about false confession and wrongful convictions because she can't understand. Like many people, when you first hear about this for the first time, like why would he do this until she watched every last second of those tapes, every minute of every interview. And she was like, oh my God. Because
0: it's not just Chris. She's watching Ben's interviews and she's watching Jeremy's interviews. And she's saying, what I realized is their strategy
3: was that they were trying to get each one of these guys to roll on, roll on the other one. Ben and Jeremy were much smarter. And Chris, what I realized is that because Detective Furman had been a school cop when Chris was going to high school, Chris trusted him.
0: Carol is starting to realize that, like, this has been pinned on Chris because he was the easiest one.
1: And she says, like, they played the hypothetical game. And Keith's like, tell me more about that. Right. That's, that sounds wild. <laughs> and she's like, you know, they do this thing where, like, they don't say you. They say Chris Tap like, in the third person. Yes. And they just say, like, all right, you cut her, Chris. Fine. Just tell us that Chris cut her. And he's, they're, he, they're coercing
0: him. And they're just and like. And he keeps being like, no, 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 no. I But I didn't do that. And they're like, right. But hypothetically, let's say that you did. He's like, OK. No, but I didn't. It's, it's so
1: hard to watch. And
0: it's also, like, this is where it's hard, because I've never been in this situation, to um, to understand that this really happens. They start to make Chris question reality. At one point,
1: and the, I'm like, oh my God, my heart is breaking, where yeah. he's like,
0: but wouldn't I remember it? He goes from, no, I wasn't there, no, I didn't do this, to wait, wait wait, was I there? And but we've wait, seen remi- this before. Yes. And,
1: thi- and this, I feel like, is the moment when these shitty cops were like, we fucking got him. Exactly. That's what they're waiting for. They are trying to break you down until you're like, because then he's like malleable. He's right. You can you can manipulate someone who is, who is second-guessing reality.
0: And what's so crazy about this is that you can't tell me the cops are doing, they're doing whatever it takes to break him down because they have the evidence that he was the killer and that he was there. Because they don't. There's no evidence no. at all that Chris was there except for for the confession that he provided after they badgered him to the point of not knowing what was real anymore.
1: Yeah, and they figure, like, the cop who was, quote, his friend who's never a friend was just like, he's gotten in trouble in high school. Like, we can easily pin this on this kid. A Uh, jury will
0: believe it. I'm just saying that, like, right. Like, the cops have to be coming at it from that perspective they're not coming at this because they they firmly believe he's the killer no they just know they can get him
1: exactly and you know that is so it's so fucked up fuck these guys yeah so like and poor Carol like she's crying like she's crying to Keith and saying you know I'm crying for Chris I'm crying for his mother like he's an only child let him go
0: yeah and the thing that really stands out to Carol she says Carol Dodge
2: became convinced that Chris Tapp had been fed information and was coerced into confessing to Angie's murder When detectives fed him information, he'd repeat it back to them, thinking they were helping him give accurate details about Angie's murder and the
0: immunity agreement would stand. She starts to see Furman, the cop that Chris trusts, telling Chris details that only the killer would know, and then getting him to incorporate it in. Well, Just like say it back to exactly. him, exactly.
1: And he didn't know the map of the house. Like this is like Jesse Miss Kelly all over again. He didn't know
0: what room she was murdered in, right. and he's saying the living room. The cops like, "You mean the bedroom? She was you. She, you killed her in like the bedroom." Like how
1: many? Like Jay Wilds. Like how many times have we uh, Brendan fucking Dasy, heard this? I know. How many? times. And Jay is different because the cops were telling him what to say. That yeah. was a different thing. Oh my God. The tapping. But, like, he, I can't with the like, tapping. Dollars to donuts. <laughs> but but that's what that, that's how they lead you. And then they only play like the good parts of the confession to the jury. Like we've seen this.
0: They have, a these cops have a fucking playbook. It's all the same story. It's very hard to watch in real time. Chris start to question reality. His face. Because he starts to believe that he was there. He starts to believe that he actually did this.
1: And then once they're just like, we got him. They do this incredibly, even more fucked up thing. They offer him an immunity deal. Ugh. So they're tricking him. All
0: the while knowing it's bullshit. Right.
1: They're tricking him into being, quote, truthful about the crime. So Chris thinks this is an out for him. He thinks he's protected. That he
0: just repeat everything back
1: to the cops, yep. thinking In, he was incriminate safe.
0: Incriminate himself. And that's fine because I've got an immunity deal. Right. I'm just going to tell them and I'll, I'll pin it on Ben. I'll pin it on Jeremy, right. whoever. And this is my friend. Yep.
1: No, they're not your friend. So, of course, this fell apart. It was meant to. It right. was never actually a real deal. Because
0: what like, the Like, where's cop- his lawyer? What the- Exactly. And, they- and he has a lawyer. Ugh. Because what Chris is telling us— Chris had been offered an
2: immunity agreement that would protect him from prosecution in exchange for cooperating with police. As long as he gave truthful information about the crime.
0: As long as I was truthful. And so he implicates himself and because the cops know all of it is lies, they're like, we're going to keep the implication part but now we're going to get you for telling lies. The immunity deal's off the table and now you're the fucking killer. Just
1: when you think they couldn't get more evil. Like, imagine offering this kid this thing knowing it's all bullshit, knowing you're just going to tick a box. Like, that's it.
0: Just to like really break it down to like the brass tacks, I take such pride in my work. I take pride in doing a good job. I take pride in working hard. I take pride in like creating something that people like. I cannot imagine what it must feel like To be like, I'm just going to go to work today and get anybody I can to clear this case off my desk, knowing I'm lying, knowing I'm tricking this kid. How does that feel good? How do you get out of bed and want to go back to work the next day? I mean, I
1: think there are many people in law enforcement, many cops who get into it for the power trip. Uh-huh. To be able to like, you know, throw someone on the ground and have this have be able to be like, "Oh, I put this guy away." Like I think that's a big part of I it. I get in
0: trouble with listeners sometimes for like defending the bad guy. And what where that really comes from is my my own naivete and my also just general want to see the best in people. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe and really accept that people can just be evil.
1: And like These guys are like, I I can't imagine that they were just trying. I mean, you can see it. They were just trying to break this kid down and then like trick him into this immunity deal. It's
0: hard to watch because it's hard to accept that that's what's really happening.
1: But to me, it's like it feels like I'm watching a rerun. How often does this happen? So the last time Keith spoke to these cops was in 2012.
0: Yeah.
2: Ken Brown had been promoted to captain with the Idaho Falls police. Jared Furriman had become mayor of the city. Both men vehemently denied any wrongdoing in their interrogations of Chris Tatt.
0: So, Jared, he's the Furman guy. He's the one that Chris thought was his friend. And he's the mayor of this town and now.
1: And neither of them will admit to any wrongdoing right. back in 2012. But they're also lying because they're sitting down with Keith together. And Keith, is, back in 2012, yeah. Keith is just like, fellas, can you level with me? Like, right. what's all this <laughs> bullshit? And they're like, watch the interviews. We never fed him information. That is a blatant lie. And we see them do it about 50 times. Why
0: doesn't Keith... Keith have the receipts is my question. Why? Like, I want Keith to wheel in a TV like my seventh grade science teacher. Right. Like, slip the tape in the VCR and be like, this is you feeding him the misinformation.
1: Well, he gets a little bit Heavy, yeah. more heavy-handed in a in a Because I'm just kind of like, that's a provable lie. It is a provable lie. But right now, like, that doesn't matter. Yeah. So, by 2012, Chris has appealed four times. And now we meet his current lawyer, John Thomas. Yes. Who believes that he's innocent. He's working to get him out of prison. He was assigned to the case in 2009.
0: And the first call he got was from Angie's mom <gasps> saying, girl, there's something terribly wrong with this case. You gotta watch the tapes. And he, he's, like, just another in a line of people on Chris's side who are like, we don't get calls like that. Yeah, that, that never that happens. Was, that was unusual. The
1: victim's mom is yeah. calling, being like, look at the, look at this coerced confession. And Angie's
0: mom, like, her whole thing is like, we gotta get him out so we can find the real actual fucking killer. Exactly.
1: We're just wasting a whole lot of time exactly. here. So John listens to Carol, and he's like, oh my god, holy shit, they're totally coercing him. You're yeah. absolutely right.
2: Over and over, investigators would suggest scenarios for how the crime went down. And I asked 20-year-old Chris to confirm that's how it happened.
1: In fact, they're saying that Chris was stabbing Angie as he was also holding her down. Like, the story has just gotten so convoluted that, like, what Chris is admitting to, quote-unquote, isn't physically possible. Exactly. Like, it's just ridiculous. Exactly. And now... Because Chris's lawyer is like, Carol, we got to talk about false confessions. There's an expert here. Yes. His name is Steve Drizzen. Oh my
0: God, I screamed. I screamed
1: too. And I was like, I felt like Buddy the Elf, like, oh my God, I know him. I, now, know. I, I do not know him. No. I just love him. Yeah. And A Ryder. I think they're so, amazing. if you don't
0: remember, these are Brendan Dassey's attorneys in, I think it was the second, se- the second season of Making a Murderer. Yeah. They were the ones from like the Innocence Project trying to get Brendan Dassey out.
1: And they're also like professors at Northwestern, yes. I think. Or da- I know that Steve Drizzen definitely is. But they're all about like educating people on wrong- wrongful convictions yes. and like trying to right the wrongs of the system. They're awesome.
0: Steve could not believe when he picked up the phone and it was Carol because he was he was like, I don't get calls from victims family members. I'm just so impressed Carol by her. Carol
1: rules. Yeah, she's she does. She's so awesome. Yeah.
0: She just wants to do the right thing. She just wants to get him out.
1: You know, and it feels like she is, I'm sure she has like an amazing support system, but it just feels like she's at the helm of all of this. Like she's just like kicking doors down and just not taking no for an answer. And why should she? So now not only she's trying to get justice for her daughter. She's trying to get justice. She's trying to get Chris out of prison because she learned about wrongful convictions and she's like, that can't be right. And she's also trying to get the guy who actually did this.
0: I know. She must be exhausted. She must be exhausted. Steve Drizzen analyzes all of Chris's interrogation tapes.
2: If you look at these videos from start to finish, this is a textbook case of psychological coercion. This isn't Chris's confession. This is
0: Jared Furman's fantasy Of how this crime occurred. And there's no evidence to back it up. And there's no evidence to back it up. And then we see the judge says at the conclusion of Chris's first trial, where he gets convicted, had there been no confession, there would not have been a conviction in this case. That's
1: it. That's all you really need. Yeah. It just gets even worse. Like Chris would change his story six or seven times, and before every change of the story, the cops would come and like hook him up to the lie but detector. But that,
0: that's important because again, his attorney abandons him, oh my God. so he's being like he's telling a story, and they're like, "No, that's not what we need. We're going to polygraph you and see if that's right." Oh, you said you found her in the living room. Did you mean you found her in the bedroom? And he would say bedroom. They say, "Oh, you nailed that. You got that one hundred percent right." So then that becomes his right. story, and he thinks he's doing what he's supposed to do because he thinks he's got this immunity deal. Right. This is why his story. He's changing. He's like, I'll tell them whatever they want me to say because it's going to get me off the hook. I
1: mean, we hear this a thousand times. But then they would threaten him with the death penalty to get him to say that, like, this is unconscionable. Exactly. Like, they should be, they should, they're the fucking mayor and the captain of the police force? These two guys who are doing this evil thing to this kid? It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. And now, at this point, like, time is just going by. Everyone involved has retired. Now they refuse to comment. Like, we're long past 2012, the last time Keith sat down with them. Yeah. They refuse to comment. No one's taking. Any accountability, and they're just like, I do the exact same thing today. Honestly, I would do it exactly the same way. If my son was in there, I'd be, I'd be proud of of the work being done by my fellow cops. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And
0: it's like, are you aware that this is gonna, like, we're gonna watch this, like, this is gonna go out, we're gonna see, like, and there's no repercussions for these people. None. There's not. There's no repercussions. So because
1: this is where, like, Keith says to them,
0: for two guys, who interviewed this person
2: over and over again. And found that in the first interview, the second interview, the third interview, the fourth interview, the fifth interview, the sixth interview, he lied like a sidewalk. Then you finally get to the seventh interview, and that's the gospel truth.
1: No. So this guy lied like a sidewalk. Right. <laughs> For the first six, He lied like a sidewalk. Six confessions he yeah. lied like a sidewalk. Now, but like seventh times a charm, like right. that's when he decided to tell the truth. And this happened without you feeding him any of that truth. Right. And they're just like yeah that's exactly what happened Keith and then like now we see the clips of it not happening yes
0: I remember thinking about this with serial too like these fucking cops probably never thought they do this all the time they've done this all through their career they never thought anyone was gonna come through and like pick apart a case yeah you know and of of course they have to defend their work and stand by it and say we did everything by the book but like are they shitting themselves when Keith leaves for the day yeah
1: and like that's the thing that should be keeping us all up at night the fact that like they're too good at this they've done this before exactly this is not the first time they've done this. And they know what works.
0: They also exist in a vacuum where they're telling each other this is the right thing. We're going to get the guy. This is definitely him. Are we the only ones who remember there's no evidence that Chris was there? The only evidence that got him convicted was a confession. The judge said so himself. And the confession only happened because you coerced him over 40 hours and six polygraph tests. I mean, even more than that because then like now it just keeps going
1: and going. You know what I mean? And Keith said, like Keith is trying to give them an out. Not like it would redeem them in any way. But he just keeps asking, are you sure? He asked, them several times for someone to say like, "There's no chance he didn't do it." Right. Like, you, you're right? Like, right.
0: he just are keeps. You po- but you're positive, just like 100%. The, the
1: cameras are rolling. Right. This will live forever on an app, eventually called Peacock. Well, oh we God. can't get into it right now, yeah. but they will not.
0: The fudge. is wild, like it's, it's but, but we're not. That's not what we're it here talking about. It. I, can, I can see it all. i me
1: and the tortoises down in the Galapagos where we got this. But he just keeps giving them an opportunity to maybe have some accountability, and they just won't. No.
0: And because we keep seeing, like, the shady shit that they did, like, for example, they take him to the crime scene, (sighs) and they take him to the crime scene and, like, walk him through, and they don't videotape any of it, and somebody points out to us.
2: This is an investigation where a lot of the material was videoed. There is just no excuse for not doing that, and the reason why I think Detective Furman didn't do it is because without a tape, he could say that Chris came up with these facts on his own.
0: The one time they don't have it on video is when they take him to the crime scene for the first time to show him how the apartment was laid out because he didn't know. He didn't know it to show him where they found the body because he didn't know. So he didn't know. And you know, Steve Drizin is the one who points out like without videotaped evidence, the detectives can tell us no, no. He took us to the crime scene and right. he showed us where everything of was. Cor- yeah, it, it, it all
1: depends on how they write it in their statement or write it in their paperwork. You know what I mean? Like, they yeah. are controlling this narrative all across the board.
0: And it's wild because like after they go to the crime scene, the next video is of them back in the interrogation. Room And it's like at this point, Chris and that Furman guy are basically working out the bullshit story together, together. because once again, Chris thinks he has an immunity deal. And he says to Furman, next, you're probably going to say I did the whole thing by myself. Am I right? And Furman goes, probably. And Chris laughs. He has Be- no idea that that's exactly what's happening. Because
1: they have broken him down so much that now it does feel like they're in on it together. Right. It does feel like they're helping each other out here. Exactly.
0: It's up. Because the very next day, Chris writes the confession that is the thing that gets him convicted. Right. So he writes the confession that gets him convicted, even though there's no, absolutely no evidence beyond the confession. Yeah. He gets the conviction. Steve Drizzen says, this is the worst confession I've ever seen. This is the one that keeps me up at night. And this is the guy that was trying to get Brendan Das out of prison based on his confession. Remember how bad that was? Yeah. We watched the cop feed Brendan all of the information and he just regurgitated it back. This guy teaches a course at Northwestern about this. And this is the worst he's ever seen. This is the one that keeps him up at night.
1: Come on. So, again, like, these years are going by. It's, like, 10, 11 years after the murder.
0: And more and more people keep signing on to his innocence. We learn about the Judges for Justice. Yeah. Like, they're they're on it. The Idaho Innocence Project. The mother of the fucking victim. Yeah. How is this not enough for a judge?
1: And now, at the same time, though, science is evolving. You can do more with the DNA testing. So now, you know, the lawyers, the Innocence Project, Carol, they're all trying to get more evidence tested because you can do things now that you couldn't do in 1996. Yes. So, Chris, quote, confessed... To touching Angie's sweatpants and a teddy bear. So they said those for sophisticated DNA testing. I gotta
0: say, because I know like the shit that Damien goes through, like trying to get the evidence tested. Oh, I was surprised that like they're requesting to get the t-shirt and the teddy bear tested, and the state allows that to happen.
1: I know, especially when the mayor yeah. was part of this totally. false confession oh, my and the God. captain of the yeah, I don't know how they did and it. And it seemed
2: like it got done pretty fast. The results showed no trace of Chris Tab.
3: It very clearly says Chris Tapp excluded. It definitely puts the semen donor at the crime scene.
0: The only DNA evidence they find is of the guy with the pubic hair and the semen. Yeah. It's one intruder. Like, give me a break. So Carol is just like, ah. Oh. Fudge, or again, whatever Mormons say. <laughs> no coffee. They're not allowed caffeine.
1: They are not allowed caffeine. I can't
0: imagine. Or booze. I, which is I. I, 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 I got, was gonna say. We gotta move on. I can't. <laughs> I was
1: like, really gonna hold tight on that coffee. Thing? I, How weird. <laughs> Carol has fucking had it, and she learns about these genealogy sites that are really becoming quite the thing back yes. in you know 2011 or whatever, and she wants to submit DNA to Ancestry.com and see what's going on to try to find the killer. Like, maybe this will work because the cops certainly aren't doing anything. And th-
0: what I want to say here is, once again, I'm not defending the cops because it is the cops that submit the profile to Ancestry, which I was shocked by. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that before.
1: Probably because there's, like, it's been 10 years, maybe somewhat, maybe the like, garbage. Was
0: just, I was going to say, not that, it's not that I've not heard of cops using genealogy, obviously Golden State Killer and a million other cases, but Ancestry.com being like a for-profit company, they, there's like that other cop DNA site that, that, oh, right. that yeah, they'll yeah. use. So Ancestry is like the largest, and I was surprised that the cops so willingly did it. But remember, the cops maintained, Chris was there, he did the murder, but they they are still holding on to the third man theory. Yeah. So they are like trying to find that guy too. Yeah. You know. and it's like,
1: oh my God, it's gone on so long that they believe their own bullshit. Exactly. Like, is that really yeah. what is happening here? That they're like, oh right, that third guy. It's I like, no, 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 that only guy.
0: Exactly. What? The, the, right. But they they submit it to Ancestry and they get a hit and they get a close hit
1: to the this guy, Michael Ursery Jr.
0: Yeah, and so this guy is a filmmaker in New Orleans, and he's like an independent filmmaker who makes like horror movies. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh shit! Like this could be the guy."
1: Guess what? He's not the guy.
0: He's not the guy. He's and it's kind match. of like it, it's weird because like we get all the science, and I don't really understand it, but it's like he wasn't a match to the semen left
2: at the crime scene, so detectives knew that he did not murder Angie, but police began investigating whether someone related to him did the Y-DNA strand, that's
3: passed down basically unchanged in most instances from father to son. And they began looking at relatives of Michael Esri Sr.
0: So then they're like, did his son do it? And it could go back like several generations. So I guess that's considered a close hit. But like if you think about going back to like, then it could be any of the male cousins. Yeah. Go, you know what I mean? So, so we don't But I'm like, could we just test everybody in the fucking family? Right. Or I'm like, hey Ursary, who didn't do it? Sorry for <laughs> pulling you off the movie set. Sorry. Do you have a weirdo <laughs> cousin that you think might be a killer? Yeah. You know let's what I have mean? have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's 2016 and enough people have been making enough noise about Chris and his innocence and getting him out of prison. Finally the prosecutor agrees to commission an Independent review of the case, which again is huge.
0: And it's, they get this guy, a former criminal investigator from Idaho. He's given the task of scrutinizing the entire murder investigation. The review takes 14 months and costs $32,000. And they want me to be, they want me to care about that. I'm like, this guy's been in prison for for, 16 years, 20 years at this point. Do your job
1: beforehand so we don't have to deal with this. We're wasting too much time on getting people out of prison who shouldn't be there in the first place when real killers and abusers are loose. I don't understand it.
0: And so this commission finds that Chris's confessions about his involvement in the murder were either tainted questionable or unlikely because the detectives tainted his interviews by giving him information about the crime right but nothing happens but the commission says like yes they were feeding him information and his confession is fucked but he still knew too much so he had to be there
1: okay I'm fe- I feel crazy I know I feel insane because even Carol's like I'm sorry what the science says he wasn't there right the science saying he's out there plus this independent report saying yeah the cops definitely tainted what he said like put two and two together it's just
0: like but the thing is it, it, what's so aggravating is that it becomes so clear that the cops are never gonna willingly let chris out of prison because they have to stand by their shitty yeah work right yes but even though like like carol keeps saying we keep finding more dna every time it, first it was just the semen then it was the pubic hairs then it was the dna on the sweatshirt and yeah. the and the and the. and teddy bear. All of it belongs to one and the same person. There's no evidence that Chris was in the room, you know? yes. And it's never gonna matter. The cops always have to stick by the shitty work that they did.
1: And this is why there's value in getting some new names and faces in there. It's why Damien and Lori helped campaign for Judge Burnett to actually win his race so he wouldn't be a fucking judge anymore, and we can get some fresh eyes on this case. that's
0: what happens here. There's a new judge assigned to the case. Keith says, the Honorable Alan Stevens. Yeah,
1: that's what they call judges, the Honorable so-and-so. especially keith yeah. he seems to really
2: like this guy <laughs> Loves it. but he says chris's petitions for post-conviction relief could move forward the judge scheduled back-to-back hearings in april 2017 that would examine the new dna evidence and allegations of a coerced and false confession
3: that is maybe as close to a new trial without an order for a new trial as you can get in in the, the judicial
0: system this is as close as you can get to a new trial without the order for a new trial in the judicial system. So this new awesome judge yeah. circumvents everything everybody else did. By and does a, it quickly. Right, exactly. And he essentially orders a new trial, but, like, does it in, like, a in like the back doorway. And so
1: here's what he does. It's essentially a resentencing. So yes. Chris is still a convicted murderer, but he'd get let out immediately. The state would vacate the rape charge, but he stays a convicted murderer. So it's, like, a little bit like an Alfred plea, but they're not calling it that.
0: Yeah, and, like, the thing that was making me crazy about this was... I was like, okay, this is great for Chris because if he takes this deal, he's going to get out today. And I was at
1: first, and there's like a team of people fighting for his innocence to be exonerated.
0: Yes. But my, my thought was if he stays a convicted murderer, which he will, I was afraid that the state was no longer going to keep looking yeah. for the person that Carol's been out there looking for for 20 years at right. this point. Right. That is not the case because the police do acknowledge the third man was also there. Right. So both can happen. Chris can get out and the case stays open and active. Right at this resentencing where Chris gets out Carol takes the stand she's sobbing I'm sobbing I know she is like I, this is where I wrote she's the best person we've ever covered when he gets released that day Carol is sitting next to his mother I know. he comes over and collapses into both of their arms and she's
1: like apologizing to him for what she's been through yeah when... but
0: she's also looking at him saying you promise me you don't let her down I won't
3: you don't let Carol down you do all that you can do for her Christopher
0: don't give up on Angie. Yeah. We're in this right. to the end. And,
1: like, they are. I know. And so, like, I know. everyone vows not to give up, except for the shitty cops.
0: So, like, that's kind of how the episode ends. Everyone vows not to give up. They used the DNA profile to create two sketches of the killer. Right. I'm sorry to inform you that the killer is Rob McClure of the Great Broadway. <laughs> asterisk. Broadway. asterisk guy. It's, he's it's not. not he's am. not. He's not. But the, the DNA, the sketch of the killer based on the DNA looked so much like this Broadway actor Rob McClure. I had to send you a side by side picture, and
1: I didn't notice it at first. But when yeah. you said, I was like, you went on Canva. I went on and Canva did, and made a side by side.
0: Tell me, it's not a dead fucking ringer. It was a
1: little jarring to see it side by side. Wild. That. I'm sorry, Rob. I love you. I love you, Rob.
0: So like that's how the that's how the documentary ends, and then we get the on-screen text that in 2019, Idaho Falls police arrested 53 year old Brian Drips Senior. They kept using
1: ge- that this genetic genealogy. That's that's how they exactly. get Exactly.
0: Fam, this guy was. Angie's across-the-street neighbor. They got He's his, the killer. Yeah. He did it.
1: They got his DNA from a discarded cigarette, and it's a fucking match.
0: It's a match, to which I say, Chris spent 20 years in prison. 23. Did you even question the across-the-street neighbor? I'm thinking you did not. No. Because every one of these interrogations, we have the video, yeah. but we didn't see any of, like, this guy. Yeah. What, you did, the across-the-street neighbor? The, the
1: across-the-street neighbor. I do have good news. He's spending the rest of his pathetic life in prison. Good. There's that, at least.
0: And two months after Drip's arrest, Chris Tapp was cleared of all charges in Angie's murder and he was exonerated. And I'm like, great. Does he get to sue now? Yeah.
1: May those cops never know peace or happiness. May every street they walk on be paved with like the sharpest Lego pieces (laughs) for all eternity with their least favorite song on a loop at level 15 volume. (laughs) Definitely. That's it. And fire ants. And it's always 110 degrees. (laughs) Are we done? And (laughs) they're forced to eat
0: their least favorite food. It's the only thing. Yes. Oh, my God. Fam, we did. What's it called? It's called
1: Who Killed Angie Dodge? Keith Morrison Investigates.
0: All right, fam. Listen, one more time. I'm doing my book release party September 26th at an undisclosed location in New York <laughs> City. And you're invited. It's, it's open, a very fun location. Very fun location. It's open bar, open food, open everything. Drag queens performing. If you got a book coming to you through coming to one of our live shows, you're going to pick it up there. I'm going to sign it to you. Fun. We're going to take pictures. Are you doing like a full book signing? Oh, yeah. Well, kind of. Like, I'm, I am I want to dance and drink okay. and hang out with the listeners and Great. take pictures. And you're going to be there. Gonna it's going to be so fun. All you have to do to get invited, text me, 917 917- 917 983-3733. We can invite 200 of you. So text today. We're going to get back to you this week okay. with all the details. We're picking at random. Like, it's all going to go through an app and we're picking it all at random. Okay, great. And join our Patreon. Yeah, we're having fun over there. 350 full ad-free bonus episodes. You get a bonus episode every single Friday. Yeah. If you get to the end of the Tuesday app and you're like, I could use another one of those this week. If you're on the Patreon, guess what? It's coming. Patreon.com slash Obsessed or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for our funny and hilarious outtakes. Yeah. Sure. Uh my book's coming out like in a month. Oh my god, I'm Oh so my excited. god, oh my god. Bye fam. we love you. Bye everybody. Bye. Some of my women friends just instinctively know how to parent. Mm-hmm. Like they know automatically what age the kid should get the cell phone and exactly how to treat the cell phone and how to treat the social media. Carol is that kind of parent. Yeah. I am not. <laughs> All of it is a struggle. Carol, All of can it. You I'm, I'm constantly guessing. In. I'm googling. Daisy's like, Daddy, can I have a phone? And I'm like, No. And I google how old do kids uh, should they be when you get a phone? Yeah. <laughs> how do I handle my kids? Social can media? you get yeah. her
1: one of those emergency phones like yes. the phones we record on, where of it's like course. you can't use it as a phone? God, phone. even
0: you're a better mother than me. But don't they have? Those? <laughs> they do. Yeah. Um, us, Us cellular, in fact.
1: Should I be insulted by even you're a better mother? <laughs> I just mean by the fact that you're not a mother and you don't want to be one. You're right. already
0: better at it than I am. I don't
1: think that's true, but
0: <laughs> God damn it, that man handsome.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Just I'm falling sorry. into your own question. You are! I broke the I broke the I broke the what?
1: Malt. Oh, I was gonna say, wait a second. No, no, You know, I'm I am, I am very pro. I am very pro feeling and loving yourself yeah, and yeah, yeah, catching yeah. your reflection and going, who's that? Who, oh, who's, fuck.
0: Oh fuck it's me. Oh it's me. Fuck.
1: I look amazing.
0: God damn it. I love that. It just me well now I'm annoyed because I can't make out with that guy. Right. You know what I mean? You can make out with the mirror. I guess that's true. Right?